0: Over a fifth of Montreal's population has a mother tongue other than English or French, and this presents a challenge when they seek access to healthcare in our hospitals. All too often, requests for interpreters outnumber interpreter availabilities. Medcom's co-founder, Kenzie Hamid, here with us today, identified this disparity as a medical student and decided to directly address this issue by creating Medcom with co-founders Ellen Chow and Jenny Gee. MedCom is actively building a mobile platform through which multilingual healthcare trainees can connect with allophone patients to provide confidential medical interpretation during hospital visits. Since its creation in 2019, MedCom has made leaps and bounds towards this goal and has moved beyond simply building a platform to conducting research to optimize their translation services, publishing reviews on the use of medical interpretation in healthcare, launching a medical interpretation workshop series and advocating for the incorporation of cultural and linguistic sensitivity training into the medical curriculum. Just last month, they received an award of $30,000 from Dialogue McGill for the purpose of improving healthcare access for linguistic minorities. They are truly an inspiring and powerful collective and I am thrilled to be speaking today with Kenzi Hamid and Daria Nemova, sitting co-presidents of MedCom and McGill Medical Students. So without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Daria and Kenzie. So to start off, maybe you can tell us a little bit about where your passion for language barriers comes from.
1: Yeah, sure, of course. Um, So I think I would like to start off by saying that I am originally from Egypt, uh, so I'm originally from Egypt. I lived in Lebanon prior to immigrating to Quebec City at the age of 10. When I first came to Quebec City, I was a non-Francophone. However, I was a, a bright kid and I, I loved school. And that's, so that's something that I faced uh, very early on, You know, at the issue of language barriers in Quebec, not being able to communicate with my classmates and teachers in French. Um, so ultimately, I think that's where it all started, I would say. Uh, however, then when I came into the healthcare system, you know, I, I, you immediately you see it. You can ask any student that goes into the uh, clinical setting. You, we see a lot of patients that have language barriers. I think that's the beauty of Montreal is that we're so ridiculously diverse, but ultimately a lot of people don't speak French or English. And that can be particularly problematic in the healthcare setting, uh, especially when there's also the issue of health literacy. Um, but I do have to say I guess my passion comes from my own experience and then also till now like my my family when they'll speak to me they still live in Quebec City and they'll speak to me about not being able to access certain services because everything's just available in French and uh, and that really like it, it just it, it bothers me I guess and, and I, as a medical student I found that I'm able to address those issues um, in the healthcare setting. So my passion for language barriers similarly comes from an
2: immigration experience. I came to Canada for uh, my undergraduate degree, but differently from Kenzie. Actually, my first language barrier was English, um, and even though I was in Montreal and Quebec, uh, having chosen to go to school um, in English, um, my my first experience with language barriers was was there and you sort of never forget um, how you feel when uh, you don't understand or the little details slip through um, around you in conversations or in important information such as um, in the healthcare setting. And uh, having um, like mastered English and overcome language barriers, I could always reflect back and see um, what a difference um, and how much more difficult uh, it was to not be able to communicate properly. and and express yourself well. And then I had an opportunity to interpret for a family, um, a Ukrainian speaking family in the healthcare setting and having followed them through uh, several complicated appointments with many, many healthcare professionals, I saw what a difference it makes to have someone help you and translate um, if you're you're not perfectly fluent uh, in the language of a healthcare professional. So from there on, Sort of started my journey, my interest in, in language barriers. Um, I worked as an interpreter at the Montreal Children's Hospital, and then after uh, getting into medical school, I was uh, excited to learn about uh, MedCom and joined the team to uh, to really promote a solution for language barriers.
1: Right. I think Daria, like Daria and I, what we share is our passion kind of comes from a deep sense of empathy, which I think is uh, is what really drives us.
0: Uh, I thought I'd dive in next with your direct experiences as uh, translators and co-presidents of MedCom. You've uh, probably been exposed to many situations where linguistic barriers present a hindrance. Uh, Daria, you just talked about your experience as an interpreter before you joined MedCom. And you've even held an event discussing and highlighting these issues with other healthcare professionals. Um, What would you say are the major consequences of this barrier for the patient, if you were to explain this to someone who had just been exposed to this issue?
1: Right, so I think I I first like to start by saying how, I mean, the core of of good care, in my opinion, and what we've been taught in medical school, is being able to build a therapeutic alliance with the patient, so the patient-doctor relationship, and we, we study how important, you know, language in medicine is, using the right language, you know, making the patient comfortable, understanding where they're coming from, et cetera, and giving them that room to express themselves. And I think ultimately that's all lost when there's a language barrier. And it's something that I have faced as a student, facing patients that I can't communicate with. There's, I can't, it's like, I can't build that alliance with them. It's difficult to understand what the problem is. It's difficult to, and we can find ways around that and finding out what the problem is, but it's difficult to build that relationship which can lead to, to consequences uh, in, that, in that end and really like that access to care and access to a good doctor-patient relationship. So that's what I would highlight in terms of the major consequence. So, however, I think Kudzari can also share with us some actual practical consequences in terms of health, uh, health outcomes as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So um, there's actually quite a bit of literature on uh, the consequences of language barriers. And while we don't have qualitative aspects, so numbers and prevalences we do know what kind of outcomes uh, these patients experience and so first and foremost um, there is delay in seeking care if you can't uh, communicate uh, with your healthcare provider if you don't understand how the system works you're less likely to to to, to get ac- uh, to to go and ask for for services and to access healthcare and what this leads to is. Uh, delayed in diagnosis uh, and often presentation to the emergency room where things are more serious and more urgent. Um, Then like Kenzie mentioned that disruption in that therapeutic alliance, not being able to properly assess the patient because you can't ask them the history uh, of their medical condition or the situation that brings them into the emergency room. Not being able to do that leads to misdiagnosis, leads to medical errors. And over interventions, so you're, you're probably going to try to uh, you're more likely to use uh, scans and imaging, you're more likely to do blood work to get some objective nonverbal answers to your questions, you're more likely to admit the patient um, as a precaution because you don't know exactly what's causing their problem, all of this could be rectified by the use of a communication tool such as an, an interpreter. Um, We also know that patients with language barriers uh, have longer hospitalizations for all the similar reasons already mentioned. Um, And as a result of it, um, a frustration, a a very frustrating experience with the healthcare, uh, which perpetuates the cycle, so you're less likely to seek care again. Um, I think medical, uh, sort of basic medical education comes, uh, comes in as well. Um, if you don't know to, uh, to sort of to exercise or report certain symptoms, uh, or if you don't understand the link between your diet and diabetes, and it, it can never be properly explained to you by your healthcare professional because you don't speak their language all of that sort of comes into pictures and affects uh, worse outcomes uh, in, in patients with language barriers. I say that every rotation that I go through, I encounter at least uh, one like very memorable and teachable um, case of language barriers. Um, so one I'm gonna share was from a psychiatric rotation, uh, psychiatry rotations, sorry. Right? And so this was a patient who has been, uh, when I met him, was, uh, has been hospitalized for six months. Um, And part of it was uh, the seriousness of his condition, but another part was the fact that he would only be evaluated every two weeks. Um, And at first I thought that was weird, but upon uh, investigation, I realized um, that he was only evaluated when a certain member of the team was present who spoke his language. So as a result, this man went uh, for 14 days, not being able to speak to anyone uh, in his first language um, in the psychiatric unit Um, and um, you know that's by itself would be would worsen your mental mental status and your mental health and your experience in the healthcare system so sort of that story always sticks uh, sticks to me as an example of unnecessary prolonged hospitalization as a result of uh, not being able to communicate to your team
0: mm-hmm. and you've written about this before you you have a review on the on the effect of uh, medical interpretation whether online or in person on patient satisfaction and uh since since you've since you've brought this service into into the world medcom and your interpretation services what's been the feedback that you receive from patients and other other doctors in the healthcare community
1: medcom in the healthcare setting it's it's getting it's still uh being presented it's still being introduced into the system i would say um however like the feedback that we've gotten generally has been just wonderful uh, anybody that kind of hears about us they're they're so happy that something like this even exists or there's a potential to something like this exists because of the the huge huge gap um and often like uh, very randomly i'll have someone you know message me oh like do you have i heard of medcom like do you have a student that can interpret for us and I'm I'm so happy that they heard of us, but like we're not even we don't even try to advertise it this much because we haven't grown enough and we don't find that we're sustainable enough to, to offer that. But they'll reach out because there's nothing else available, and so it's very well received in that in that end. Um, any doctor will kind of will be very excited to hear about it, especially especially like feedback that I've gotten very positively was from like family medicine and psychiatry where the history and needing to speak to the patient is so important. Um, In terms of students, I was so amazed by how well received it was as well like when I first kind of brought up that concept and I asked my friends and people around me oh would you be willing to be volunteers. You know, and speak the third language that you speak and help patients. Uh, everybody volunteered. We got over 140 volunteers early, early on. You know, when we offered the training in the summer regarding like how to be an interpreter, we had 70 people sign up to, to train with us and they showed up and it was completely voluntary on their end. We had no real initiative, uh, like incentive, I mean, sorry. And so that was really well received. I can't, I think it kind of shows that students from different backgrounds that speak a third language are so willing to help for, you know, either because they've seen people experience language barriers, or either because they just, you know, they, they want to offer what they can with their with their language skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some hesitancy regarding the service as well. Um, we've gotten some hesitancy from the faculty level where, you know, what about medical liability, like, or what about like, um, if students interpret in a poor manner or there's errors that are made, you know, who, where the, what are the consequences there? Doctors can be hesitant because you know, they say, you know, is it's this the medical student's role? Aren't we taking away from their time? How feasible is this? Like, is this really what their they, medical students? They probably have other responsibilities. And then from a medical student level, they're all always so, so willing to help, but they're so hesitant in terms of their language skills. Like, am I good enough? Uh, what if I don't know a certain word? And uh, that's the trickier part. But I think the highlight here is that there is a gap. This is, can be part of the solution, till there is a more permanent, obviously better solution where professional interpreters can be used. Um, so there is a gap. It's well received, but there is a certain hesitancy. That's exactly why we have training, uh,
2: because speaking um, a third language uh, is not enough to be able to serve as a medical interpreter, and we recognize that early on. Um, and that's uh, our training on, and that's why our training on how to be a medical interpreter really tackles that part more than anything, um, because uh, if you were to to get a, a, a sort of formal certification in medical interpretation, most of that training is actual medical vocabulary, something that we don't need to teach uh, medical students, Um but what you do need to teach them is the ethics of interpretation, where to sit, how to speak, where to look, what are your responsibilities and roles, and how to tackle sensitive, complicated situations. So that's um, that, That's what our uh, training tackles. Um, and then uh, based on the feedback from the medical students um, on the hesitancy around specific vocabulary in different languages, where developing a new series of workshops on the basic terminologies uh, in the, the top spoken languages among medical students.
1: Right, and just to, uh, just finish off on that, so we're the, I, was, I started off by saying how the service is still being introduced. The reason why I say that is because our, our official goal is to build an app or a website or sort of like an online platform where you can recruit students. Uh, to offer the interpretation service and part of the evaluation process that we're going to do with that is also evaluate you know are students responding do they have the time how is this received uh like and have more objective measures on that which i think is the important part of you know doing research around this area as well because it's so new
0: and you've launched you've launched research projects with a researcher at the the jewish general and also at the muhc elsewhere so since you've started in 2019 i mean it's it's really uh it's really branched off into many many different projects and with this recent award that you've gotten I mean I'm sure you have a lot in store ahead is did you expect it to go in
1: this direction when you started I definitely did not (laughs) I personally started off uh, I want to say a little naive maybe optimistic but naive thinking you know what's so simple you know we have a group of students that speak many languages we have people that need interpretation services why not just connect the dots and uh, that was I mean that was the idea and that's where the idea of the app came about but then there's all these things that kind of came up okay students need training oh students don't aren't comfortable in their languages oh can we actually how can we prove that this is going to work how can we get funding for this how and this is where all the research came from you know I didn't think that we would do so much research and advocacy work but I realized that that's what's needed before coming up with a solution you kind of need to find the problem and then kind of trace your way to the better and best solution possible and i yeah i know i've been extremely proud of how far it's come but i did not expect all this to come out of it for sure yeah.
2: um
1: and i i think it's important to highlight that
2: we really stepped up to the task though um we didn't have to do any research we didn't have to Um, host so many workshops, we didn't have to train medical students, but I think with every gap, every next gap that we identify, we take it on as a new challenge um, and develop a new project around it. I joke sometimes that every conversation I have with Kenzie leads to a research project. (laughs) Um, And that's only a good thing. And uh, I think that also reflected in the uh, the growth of our team. We now have a team of 13 execs with, uh, with a whole team dedicated to research. Uh, we also started doing a lot of advocacy work. So we realized, um, you know, th- our research that's great, uh, but we also need to f- to alert uh, um, sort of the government and the universities and the healthcare institutions on what we're doing and on the issue. And so we have a whole team that um, de- uh, dedicated to um, to doing um, to exploring l- the landscape of language barriers in Montreal, existing solutions and gaps and uh, Making suggestions of how that could be addressed. And uh, uh, what's coming out of that is a position paper that's uh, going to be shared uh, shortly with uh, both uh, universities, medical schools in Montreal, McGill, and UDM, as well as with the government um, and the healthcare institutions. So, really, research, advocacy, training, and uh, hopefully um, a MedCom platform um, very soon.
0: I know you're you're very much in the process of developing that platform and get, getting a research team behind it and optimizing it behind the scenes. And if you if you had the influence, it seems like you're you're already this is already very much well in the works. But if you had the influence uh, to change the medical curriculum to incorporate this this cultural sensitivity and language sensitivity training, um, what exactly would you like to see change or included? Mm-hmm.
2: Think if I could start with the, with answering the language part of it. So, uh, because that's the bulk of the training that we've been doing and to, and, um, and developing. So uh, when when we did uh, developed and ran the workshop on uh, on uh, medical interpretation. So the structure of our workshop was in one hour didactic lecture, sort of teaching medical uh, multilingual medical students on the basics of medical interpretation. But then that was followed by one hour of role plays. Uh, in which we really uh, made an effort to group people based on the languages they speak. So at any given time, the role play would consist of a patient and an interpreter who speaks the same language other than English or French, and a third student who would play the physician and would basically not be able to communicate with the patient uh, in any way other than through the interpreter. And um, it had the advantage of uh, everyone had an opportunity to practice what they just learned in the theory part of the workshop. But every student who played a physician gave us feedback that they've uh, sort of had an eye-opening experience of what it's like to Try to do a history with someone who does not speak your language and having to rely on the third person. And um, all those students realized um, that you need to receive some kind of teaching in order to adjust your regular history taking and the regular conversations that you have with patients. Because, you know, your regular 15 minute appointment now is cut in half or even in three uh, parts because there's has to be a delay in interpreter, um, like sort of uh, translating back and forth. You have to shorten your sentences. You have to take longer pauses. You have to really decide what are the most high yield questions that you're going to ask given the limited time and the delay that's introduced with an interpretation. And um, if you don't teach healthcare professionals about this, if you don't set the proper expectations, that leads to a lot of frustrations. When I learned that worked as an interpreter, I have several occasions been asked, why are you here? is so much longer with you in here. Do we really need you? Can't I just, it seems that they understand a little bit of the language. Can't I just figure it out? But what, um, what the healthcare professional might not realize is that without an interpreter, it might appear that you're having a conversation. It might appear that the patient is nodding along as if they're understanding, but um, the communication is interrupted in the appointment and the health outcome is worse off if you don't use a professional interpreter.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If I step back to what we think, what kind of training needs to be introduced, we really think that every medical student and healthcare, uh, other healthcare professional uh, students have to be taught about language barriers because it's a real issue and a very prevalent uh, issue in our healthcare system. Um, They have to be taught on what are the types of resources that are available, why using family members and uh, intercom announcement volunteers is not appropriate why should everyone uh, know or make an effort to learn? What are interpretation services available to you at any given institution? So I think those are important learning points as well as what do you do when you do have an interpreter? How do you adjust your interaction? Why and how it changes? And what can you do as a healthcare professional to accommodate your patients with language barriers? And I think this teaching needs to start early um, in medical school. And we're hoping to work very closely with uh, with the faculty to incorporate some of our experience and some of our workshops uh, into uh, into the curriculum.
1: Right. So there was a two part to your question. You talk we talked about le- language sensitivity and and cultural sensitivity. I think that in terms of cultural sensitivity, I've thought a lot about that. And recently, there has been a lot of talk on how do you how do you teach cultural competency? How can you become become culturally competent, what does that even mean? I What I prefer and what's also been a little bit um, integ- uh, integrated into the curriculum already is cultural safety training. So how do you approach someone from a different culture and allow for a safe space for them to express themselves and then come to come some mutual understanding? And I think that that's really important. It's done a bit definitely and i think that there's a lot more talk now there's a lot of revamping into the curriculum to include more what i think i would love to see i don't know if it's realistic i don't know if it's if it's practical but just in general having students present that their own stories So i'll explain myself so we are a ridiculously diverse group of students and i'm so proud of that and mcgill is so proud of that you know we're a medical medical cohort that is so diverse I think that we have a lot to bring to the table, and I would love to learn from my colleagues about their stories, about their heritage, about their culture. And I'd love to teach, you know, myself, and, be, and being able to do that, I think, would be really powerful and really like give you a lot of insight that you wouldn't get otherwise. And I think maybe like in small group sessions or whatnot, I think that would be really valuable. And that's what I would I would love to see that integrated somehow, very you know, informally, but for, or formally, I'm not sure, but I think that that would be really nice. I just want to
2: add that our cohorts are diverse, and I think it's important that they continue to be diverse. So continuous recruitment of uh, like diverse representations of our, of our population uh, in Montreal and in Quebec is very, very important because that's really the only way. Like Kenzie said, uh, all the, the best and most valuable lessons about other cultures I've learned not in the classroom but uh, from uh, friends and colleagues and um, I think the same th- happens in the clinic. Uh, you need to have diverse group of healthcare professionals in order to attract and make uh, comfortable your p- diverse patients.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. That sounds like a great great future direction. And already right now, there's so much diversity and you, all the medical students learn from each other. And on the topic of language sensitivity, I didn't know that there were all of these nuances to interpretation and it's, it's definitely important for a provider to be aware of the difficulties for the patient and for an interpreter to be in the room uh, because uh, not all the time can a close family member or, uh, or or a friend be in there because I mean it's, it's sensitive information, it's confidential, There's uh, there, there's some privacy that can't really be breached by even a family member so It's very important to take all of that into account. And I'm I'm really, really glad that that, that you're doing that in your work. And uh, with all of these projects and this recent award that you've gotten, which is amazing, uh, what what does the future, what do you have planned for the future of MedCom?
2: So we plan on running the workshop on how to be a medical interpreter again this summer to a a wider cohort of medical students as well as medical residents. then we're also developing a workshop on how to interact with an interpreter. So this would target not just only multilingual students, but any any medical uh, medical student. Um, and um, what we also would like to do is to spread all of our uh, workshops and activities to other healthcare uh, h- healthcare programs, so nursing students, speech language pathology students, uh, physiotherapy, occupational therapy. Because um, again, uh, it's it's this, this, this line of work and this training is uh, relevant for any, any healthcare training. We also would like to recruit volunteer more, we'll continue rec- recruiting volunteers to serve as interpreters and providing them with adequate training. By the next fall, we hope to launch uh, the first version of our MedCom platform, which would allow healthcare professionals to request our volunteering interpreters, either for in-person appointments or over the phone in the spirit of research work running research studies to evaluate the how well the platform is working and the measuring satisfaction among both the, the student volunteers and healthcare professionals mm-hmm. and then continuing our uh, advocacy work so uh, we uh, we presented uh, our team has presented uh, motions at both uh, the udm and mcgill general assemblies at the the student level and both uh, student societies are supporting the our our line of advocacy work on uh, promoting language barriers is an important issue in uh, in medical curriculum education. And so we look forward to working closely with the faculties to introduce appropriate training into the curriculum.
1: It's just, I mean, (laughs) that's pretty much all of it. I think that the hope here is that we continue to raise awareness. I think that's key and uh, all while doing that, you know, doing advocacy work Um, doing research and we keep saying research and I think ultimately what we're trying to say by that is just giving evidence to, you know, language barriers and evidence to the solutions. Um, That's something that we do just to be able to reach the goal of like, you know, raising awareness and advocating. And uh, we hope to continue doing that, you know, in whatever form it takes. I think our most exciting project is really our platform that we'll be launching in the fall, alongside, you know, all the workshops to help it work uh, nicely. And then the advocacy work, I don't know how far that's gonna go. I hope it goes super far. You know, we're presenting a position paper to the IFMSA, which is the International Federation of Medical Students Association. That would be very interesting to see it go on a more maybe governmental level as well.
2: And I would just like to add that our research work currently supported by uh, the H-SALM grant uh, from Dialogue McGill, uh, which is a federal grant from health
1: Canada. So we're very proud and very excited uh, to have received this funding. But uh, yeah, something that I've loved with MEDCOM. Honestly, you're asking like what the future holds. Uh, I've, so many of our projects have just kind of come up because opportunities have arisen and because we were able to collaborate and super excited for what can come next, honestly.
0: Certainly a force to be reckoned with. So um, where can people find you and support you on your journey and keep up with you as you continue on these many different projects?
2: yeah I think uh, well, you could always find us on Facebook. Uh, we're called Medcom Medical Interpretation. Um, so we we regularly follow updates there and you can message us directly. Um, and we're all, always looking for collaborations. so if uh, for um, in, in in our goal to spread medcom initiative to other healthcare professions um, and uh, other healthcare trainees, I think the best way to do that is, Having uh, students from other uh, healthcare programs um, sort of join the te- our team and then introduced uh, medical workshops to their colleagues. Because one of the reasons why I think our, our initiative is so successful is because we understand medical students really well. Because we are a medical student, we are en- students. We understand availabilities. We understand what works and doesn't in terms of training, the timing for workshops, the format of the workshops. Um, and uh, that's—it uh, would be very hard for us to to do that for nursing students or social work students without having a nursing student or a social work student involved. So if you are from other healthcare professions um, or other healthcare programs and are interested in uh, j- sort of spreading training on language barriers in in. Among your colleagues, you can always reach out to us. We're looking for collaborations. I'm happy to give my email, um, and I could be uh, reached out to as well that way. Yeah. On Facebook: Our name is MedCom Medical Interpretation, as well as on Twitter at uh, MedCom yeah. McGill at MedCom McGill. Um, our volunteering database includes uh, 92 students from all years of the cohort of the McGill Medical Schools, speaking uh, 25 languages, um, languages and dialects. So quite, quite a huge, uh, sort of powerful uh, cohort um, of volunteers. And I think the numbers are only increasing every year with the increasing diversity of the cohorts, which is great, but very important that it continues.
0: And that is our show. Thanks again to Daria and Kenzie for speaking with me today, and thanks to everyone listening for your attention. All of MedCom's contact information is linked in the show notes, so if you're interested in what they do or want to work with them, feel free to reach out like Daria mentioned. Also, a very special shout out to Global Health Programs at McGill for helping us bring this about. If you've enjoyed this episode of our Immigrant Health podcast series, make sure to check out our other segments and stay tuned for lots more to come from reimagining global health.